Well, whoo, hot mic. Um, good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to Redemption Church. I'm glad that you guys are with us this morning. Uh, I think the rain may have scared away um, some folks, but I'm certainly um, glad that you're here. And on the note of rain, um, as some of you guys know, um, there are a couple of spots in here where there are some leaks, where there are some sort of roofing problems. Um, so just be aware of that. Uh, back over here in the corner and one spot right over here. Um, we are working uh, to resolve those issues, and hopefully over the next few months, we'll actually have a plan in place to, to maybe even replace um, the entire roof, which will be good news for us. But just this morning, if you get wet a little bit, I certainly apologize um, for that. So maybe just move out of the way if you get dripped on for this morning. Um, there are not, uh, and then on a more serious note, there are not many days that go by that um, I don't pay attention to uh, social media or the news, uh, intentionally uh, trying to stay in touch with what's going on in the world and what people are talking about. But yesterday was one of those days uh, where I did not look at social media and I did not pay attention to the news. Um, and then I woke up this morning, um, happened to look on a news site and saw some information about some incredible tragedies uh, that happened yesterday in our nation in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, so as we get started this morning, I just want to take a minute and... Um, and pray. Um, we live in a broken world, and uh, it's, it's just uh, so obvious in situations like this. Uh, but let's just take a moment and pray and, and uh, as we move into what we're going to talk about this morning. But God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together. God, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that Jesus has defeated Satan's sin and death and provided the way for us to be reconciled to you. God, but thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection that you are redeeming all things to yourself. And God, we can look forward to a day when evil and death and sin is no more. God, thank you that Jesus has already won that victory. But God, we certainly look forward to the time when it is ultimately and fully realized. And God, we certainly pray for those affected by incredible tragedies. Yesterday, where so many were harmed, so many were killed. God, today, may we just, God, we just, we just mourn for those who have lost loved ones. We mourn for the reality of death and sin that still exists. God, we pray for comfort. We pray for you to do something amazing in the lives of those who are left behind, who are hurting. God, may they realize the love of Jesus. God, we look forward to you doing something uh, incredible in our nation and in our world. God, we look forward to when Jesus makes all things right. God, we just... Pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. This, this summer, we've been moving through the book of 1 John. And uh, we have just a few more weeks left until we're done. This morning, we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Uh, it's a big chunk of verses. Um, but let's go ahead and read those. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to the savior to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For love has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. This morning, I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes reflecting on uh, just a few verses here from First John chapter 4. There's a lot in this passage, and there's more than we could possibly cover in one sermon um, this morning. There's a lot there. And so, like I said, I'm just going to reflect on just a few verses and just a few things. But um, let me just say this as we dive into it. I think it's pretty common for us as Westerners in the Western world to put a lot of stock into our identities Uh, how we identify ourselves. This may not be true of everyone, but I think it's a pretty common thing in the West. It's not unusual for us to ask questions about the meaning and purpose of life, about the meaning and purpose of my life, about what am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Is there anything I can give my life to that is worthwhile? Right? Sociologists tell us that the greatest question of the millennial generation, those people who are currently somewhere in their 20s to early 30s, that the greatest question of their life is, can I give my life to something that is meaningful? I I don't know if that's true or not of every person who is classified as a millennial. I've met a lot of people who are... who are in such stressful situations that those sort of conversations can't be had, who are just trying to survive and to pay bills and to get by. But the question of identity and purpose is probably not something that we haven't considered before. We probably have in some way or in some form or fashion, most of us, maybe not all of us, have considered this question. I know it's true of myself. My birthday is this coming week, and that means it's time for my annual existential crisis that happens around my birthday. I started having those crisis moments when I turned 27. I can remember the first one distinctly. Um, I'm not going to tell you how old I am now because it's a little too painful. Uh, But for some reason, I've started taking this yearly event as an opportunity to look back over my life and ask questions of myself. Have I given my life to something that matters 
right? Have I lived my life with purpose and meaning? And the things that I have found purpose and meaning in, have those things truly been worthwhile? Or has life, or has my life been like the eternal work of Sisyphus? Do you remember this mythological story? He was a king that was punished by Zeus for his deceit and trickery by being forced to push a boulder up a hill only for that boulder to roll back down every time so that for eternity, he's pushing a a boulder up a hill and then it's rolling back down for him to do it all over again. Right? And I'm not not attempting to be self-aggrandizing in any way when I ask myself that question, but have I given my life to something worthwhile? I was reminded this week um, as I was thinking through this passage and thinking through my existential crisis um, of the Russian author Dostoevsky. If, um, if you don't know him, he wrote Crime and Punishment. Uh, he wrote The Brothers Karamazov. Um, your high school teachers probably tried to make you read those books. Becca, where are you? Have you made anybody read those books? Yes. Um, so I probably didn't pay attention to him when I was in high school either. Uh, but he wrote another book called The House of the Dead. And in this book, it's really like a semi-autobiographical book about the time that this guy spent in some Russian prison camps um, for a variety of different reasons. But in the book, the, the narrator is reflecting on what life and what work looks like in one of those prison camps. And he, he makes this statement, if one wanted to crush and destroy a man entirely, to mete out to him the most terrible punishment, all one would have to do would be to make him do work that was completely and utterly devoid of usefulness and meaning. Sort of hit home with me. But with all of that said, what does that really have to do with 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21? What does 1 John 4, 7 through 21, and really the larger book of 1 John in the context of what John is saying, what does that have to say about our purpose and meaning in life? Well, let me just read you a couple of the verses we just read. 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. John says, you who are loved, beloved, you who are loved, love one another, for love is is from God. In verse 11, John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. John says, Beloved, you who are loved, if God loved you, you ought also to love one another. Verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's impossible to read these verses and not see that John is giving the believers that he's writing to in this church or multiple churches. It's impossible to read this passage and not see that John is calling these believers, is giving them a purpose to love one another. It is, however, entirely possible to see that John is calling us to love one another, but then still live a life devoid of the love that John is calling us to. 
And that's why John keeps talking about it over and over and over and over and over in the book of First John. I talked about this before, but John has just four or five different things that he's saying in this book. And he keeps circling around them. He keeps coming back to them. He keeps examining them from different directions. And this is the third time in the book of John that he's devoted a considerable amount of time and effort to the topic of loving one another. And in fact, in this passage, I don't think that John is saying anything that he hasn't already said. He's been saying it all along, love one another. Most of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 is really just an exhortation from John to do the things that he's already said to do. To recognize the things that he's already said to recognize. To, to love one another because God is love. Because God has loved us. Because God has made that love known and most clearly seen in the person of Jesus. Right? God is calling us to be like him as we love one another. Love is God's nature. It defines who he is. That's what verse 8 says. That God is love. And so perhaps we should start to consider the fact that we are never more like Christ than when we are loving one another. And so John says, beloved, you who are loved out of that love that Christ has loved you with, love one another. And if you keep hearing the same thing over and over in 1 John, and if you keep hearing the same thing when you're here on Sunday mornings as we move through the book of 1 John, don't close your hearts and minds to what I'm saying. Even if you've heard it all before. Maybe there's a reason we need to hear it again. There's a story about John that is recorded in this early biblical commentary from like the 4th century. And this story was supposedly passed down from some early church fathers. But the story is that John lived in Ephesus until he was really old, uh, until he died. And so um, when he was really, really... uh, when he, when he was no longer really mobile and couldn't move around, his disciples, some of the people from the church, would have to come and carry him to the gatherings of the church body when they would meet together in homes or wherever it might be to have communion, to pray together, to fellowship together for whatever purposes they were together. And during those gatherings, it said that John really never said much in his old age other than this, little children love one another. Little children love one another. And eventually someone finally asked him, John, why, teacher, why do you always say this? Why don't you ever say anything else to us? And with a, John, with a reply that's pretty typical of John, it said that John would reply and say, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. As we move through First John, Brent and I were talking about this a little earlier. As we've moved through First John, um, it has become more and more clear to me all over again that the true picture of Christ's likeness is a willingness to love one another. What it means to be Christ-like is to love one another. The more I read First John, 
especially this passage, the more I am convinced that the highest calling, that the ultimate purpose of a believer is to love God and to love one another. That's not far-fetched because it's the same thing that Jesus said. And John is continually pushing this forward for these hearers in this church to hear, for us to hear, for us to see as we read God's word. Perhaps our highest calling, perhaps our ultimate purpose, perhaps what gives us the greatest meaning is that we love one another because we've been loved by God. Maybe we need to realize that the ultimate test of our profession of Christ is our willingness to love one another. That's what John has been giving us all along, right? Test to know that we belong to God. And perhaps the greatest test is whether we are characterized by love. That the love that Jesus has given us, we give to others. I would go so far as to say that this test of loving one another is, more, is a more vital test of what it means to belong to Christ than even our orthodoxy and doctrine and our beliefs. Now, if you know me well, then you know that I am the last person to ever say anything against orthodoxy and good doctrine. Good doctrine is vital, and John would agree, right? John has spent a good deal of time in this book making sure that we know and that we believe the right things about Jesus. Because there were false teachers and there were antichrist in the midst of this church body who were teaching false doctrine. But the correctness of our beliefs, especially about first order or closed-handed issues, is, is absolutely essential. We must have a correct and solid and good foundation of good doctrine and right beliefs. But our beliefs are not our testimony to whether or not we belong to God. Our beliefs alone are not our testimony. Our love for one another is a testimony of our belonging to Christ, to our adoptions as son and sons and daughters. And in John 13, 35, Jesus says this, by all By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is completely possible for a person to hold correct beliefs and yet not be a child of God. It's possible to be interested in theology, to defend correct beliefs, to know all there is to know, and to still be devoid of Christ. If we're children of God, then we have been called and given the purpose of loving one another. We've been given that purpose. We've been equipped for that purpose by Jesus himself because we are loved by God. And that purpose certainly gives us meaning in a way that we would never understand if we live our lives in such a way that we are just loving ourselves. John's not the only one saying this in the New Testament, right? Perhaps no one said it better than Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul said this, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We, we often hear that passage at weddings. At least that's where I've heard that passage the most. But the love that John is talking about in 1 John 4, the love that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, is not something natural. It's clearly something supernatural. It, it's different. It's manifested in Jesus through his sacrifice on our behalf. That's where it's most clearly seen. And John even says that in verse 10 where we read a minute ago. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right? Our whole idea of love is probably pretty debased and carnal simply because we're fallen people apart from a relationship with Christ. And so when we look at love from a human perspective, we look at it from Jesus' perspective, it's about sacrifice. But here's the thing. God is love. We belong to God. Therefore, we are called and given the purpose of loving like God because we have been loved by God. Beloved, love one another. Right? Think about the broader implications of this. Sacrificing for others means that we stand for one another. Right? We stand for one another that we are in relationship with and are around on a regular basis. You cannot love one another if you're not with one another. Makes sense, right? Sunday mornings, certainly we're with one another on Sunday mornings, and that's a time to love one another. But there are broader implications for what it looks like as a community to be together in friendships and relationships in missional communities and DNA groups and to, and to be with one another in such a way that we can love one another like Jesus is calling us to. We're to stand for one another. Those of us who we are with on a regular basis, we're to stand for those whose voices are not heard, right? For the outcast in our, in our community where God has sent us, we stand for and love our brothers and sisters whom our society has systemically treated unjustly for hundreds of years it's part of what it means to love one another we stand against racism we stand for our brothers and sisters we stand for our brothers and sisters who might be at the southern border who some people willingly call animals and criminals we stand for our neighbors in the way that jesus told us to love our neighbor, right? Those are the broader implications of what it means to love one another. When John calls us to love one another, he certainly does so in the context of a specific community. But we know from the larger context of the New Testament, we know from the larger context of what Jesus has given us, it doesn't stop within the community that Jesus has placed it in. And if we do, we're missing the broader implications of John saying, beloved, love one another because God has loved you. So how are we to love one another? I think that's a a vital question to ask. How are we supposed to go about fulfilling this purpose? How are we to love sacrificially like Jesus 
has loved us. How are we to develop and to nurture and to pursue this sort of Christ-likeness? Because ultimately, that's what Christ-likeness is. It's loving one another like Christ loved us. It's not just knowing the right things. It's not just showing up. It's loving one another like Christ loved us. That's, that's what Christ-likeness is. Right, so how are we to do this? And I think it really boils down to, to two things. We've got to grasp. We've got to wake up to. We've got to realize the ways in which we have been truly loved by God. John says, beloved, love one another. He doesn't say, just go love one another. He says, beloved, you who are loved, you who are wrapped in love, Love one another. We've got to grasp the reality of how much we are truly loved by God. We've got to wake up to that reality. And second, we've got to pursue knowing God. It's absolutely essential, and I'll get to that in a second. But first, it's essential that we wake up to the knowledge of how much we are truly loved by God. How is it that you wake up in the morning? Right? Does the alarm clock... Or your phone go off and startle you right awake so that you jump out of bed, you're ready to go? Does it take you a little while to wake up? Do you have to lay in bed and hit the snooze button a hundred times and roll over and like kick and scream a little bit and get mad before you finally wake up? Are you awake even before the alarm goes off, ready to tackle your day? Like how do you wake up in the morning? Whether this understanding and realization of how much we are loved happens quickly or slowly, we need to grasp that we are loved. We need to awaken to the reality that we are the beloved if we are in Christ. Are you familiar with Flannery O'Connor? She was an author that lived right here in Georgia around Milledgeville. She's pretty famous for her southern gothic style. Oftentimes she has characters that are pretty grotesque and violent, just unlikable. But it's well known that she wrote with the intentional purpose of awakening people to God's grace. Her purpose in writing was to awaken people to their need for God's grace, however unconventional she might have been. That's why she wrote. And there are moments in her stories where her characters who are unlikable awaken to their need for grace and to their need for redemption. Right? One such story that you might know of or might have read somewhere along the way, probably in high school English, maybe in college, is a story called A Good Man is Hard to Find. And it's this story of this family who are going on a road trip through Georgia down to Florida. And it's a husband and wife and two young children and a grandmother. The grandmother in this story is completely overbearing and condescending and just unlikable. And on this road trip, the family takes a turn down a side road. They end up in a wreck and they encounter this criminal who is only known as the misfit in the story. The misfit's known for robbery and murder. For the sake of brevity, um, in a way that Flannery O'Connor often does, the, the misfit ends up killing the young family 
The grandmother is the last one alive. And as she's about to meet her end, she has this sudden awakening that happens. It's as she's about to die that she comes into complete contact with her own depravity, her own depravity, her own need for redemption, her own need for grace and love, as well as the misfit needing those same things. There's this awakening moment. And to underscore this awakening, the misfit says this about the grandmother. She would have been a good woman if it had been somebody there to shoot her every minute of her life. It's pretty unconventional, I know. But the point is, in the story, this character who is unlikable has a moment where she awakes to her need for grace, for her need for redemption, for her need to be changed and to be different. She has this moment of awakening. And we sort of all need that moment of awakening sometimes. And 1 John 4, 9 through 10 gives it to us very clearly. But will we only hear it? Will we only awaken to this truth? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right? Do do you hear it? Beloved, wake up to the reality of how much you are loved. God sent his son who willingly became a sacrifice for us in such a way that we could be rightly related to God. Do you grasp? Do you grasp the way in which you have been loved? Beloved. Wake up to the fact that you have been loved. Tim Keller said it this way, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. John here is begging us. He is exhorting us. He is pushing us to see that God is love and that God has manifested that love in Jesus And that we are the beloved because of what God has done. And therefore we are to love one another. I won't belabor that point any longer. But please let this truth sink into your hearts and minds in a way that truly changes you. Beloved, you are loved. The second thing we must do is pursue knowing God. Not knowing about God. Truly knowing God. God, I said it earlier, you can know about God and not know God. You can know everything there is to know about doctrine and theology and not know God. So let's pursue a rich relationship with Christ. Let's pursue knowing God, truly knowing him through developing and cultivating a rich prayer life, through developing and cultivating a rich um, time of study in God's word, through developing and cultivating a rich time together as we encourage one another around the gospel, around what God would have for one another. In our homes, our families, and our friendships, and our missional communities, and DNA groups, and all these places that God has given us within the context of this community, let's truly pursue what it means to know God. 
And why is that important as it comes to loving one another? Well, here's the logic behind that. According to verse 8, God is love. Therefore, the more I know God, the more I will know that God is love. And the more that I know that God is love, well, then the more I will know about love. The more I know about love, the more I will love like God does. If I am his child. Because he is the means by which we can love one another. So let's pursue knowing God because God is love. Verse 19 reminds us to love one another because God first loved us. That's the whole point that we have going on in this passage, right? This whole passage is calling us to love one another because God has loved us. It's a command. We've been called to it. And in doing so, we will find purpose and meaning in a way that we probably will not otherwise. And the way that we can go about fulfilling this purpose is by being reminded of and being awakened to the incredible love that God has for us. And by pursuing knowing God in such a way that we become like him. What a privilege and honor it is, right, that God calls us to be like him. He calls us to himself that we might be like him. And he is love. He calls us to himself that we might love like him. How great a privilege, but how magnificent a responsibility. Beloved, love one another. Beloved, you who are loved by God, love one another. Like John in his old age, that's enough. That's enough. We're going to enter into a time of response like we do every Sunday. During this time of response, it's an opportunity for us to remember and to reflect upon the things maybe that God is doing in our hearts and minds this morning. Uh, It's an opportunity for us to sit where we are and pray or reflect or whatever it might be. We have an opportunity during this time to give. There's a giving basket in the back where we can put our tithes and offerings. During this time, we have an opportunity um, to sing as the band will come back up and lead us in some songs. Give us the opportunity to worship through singing. We have an opportunity to take communion. We take communion on a regular basis every Sunday at Redemption. Uh, And here's the reason we do that. As we take communion, uh, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. And we're proclaiming to one another that we believe it. So if you're here and a follower of Jesus, then I would invite you to come down either one of these aisles, tear off the bread, dip it in the wine or juice. So remember the body of Christ that was given for us. Remember the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And as we partake, proclaim that we believe that the gospel is real and true and that Christ has done something for us that we could never do for ourselves. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll move on in that time of response. God, thank you for this reminder from your word to love one another. God, you have uniquely placed our church in downtown Augusta. God, may we love those around us. May we love those in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our jobs. God, may we love them like you've called us to love. May we love one another in this community of faith like you've called us to love one another. 
God, may we, God, I pray that you would mobilize this church and your church around our nation to love one another in such a time of disunity and hurt and pain and discord and all that's going on. God, may we truly look like you as we love one another. God, as we close out our time of response, our time of worship, I pray that Jesus would continue to be lifted high. God, thank you for his truly loving work on our behalf to make us right with you. God, may Jesus be lifted high and worshiped and glorified. May we be drawn to you because of Christ. God, we ask all this in your name. In the name of your precious Son, our Savior. Amen.